Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I am your host and I have a, a superhero on today. Like this guy's a real life superhero, George Campbell. Stay with me. This guy is a Hall of Fame speaker, so you, you, you want to hang out here. Stay with me and share this out. All right, we're back. Let me bring George on. George, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to have you here. I've been told that you're a comedian. I keep telling people that, but when I tell them, they just laugh, and I find that to be hurtful. I'll just... <laughs> you find it to be hurtful. I get yeah. it. I get it. I've been told I'm funny, and I always say funny-looking. Is that yeah. what you mean? I'm not what sure I make what you laugh? Means. What I'm a comedian? <laughs> so, George, I, you know what? I created this show um, three years, a little over three years ago, and um, it really was to help people have a breakthrough in life, like get through the the stuff. The stuff can be painful sometimes. So, um, you know, I, I, I like to hear people's stories about how they got unstuck. I'm assuming that once in a while you get stuck. Yeah, that's kind of my that's that's pretty much my default position. I was just thinking if this show is about helping people, then this is going to be a nice break from what you normally do. This is <laughs> Right, right. So, hey, what? This, why don't you tell everybody where you were, um, like, where you were born and raised? Uh, I was born in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which uh, that's down in the southeast corner of Missouri. And it was that was like one of the most challenging things when I was growing up because every year when you'd start a, a new school year, they you had to fill out the forms. And it's where were you born? And as a seven-year-old trying to spell Gerardo, which is French, I mean, I'm just like, you know what, St. Louis, let's just go with that because there's no way I can spell Gerardo. It's not possible. Can you? Can then you then my folks, my dad worked for the railroad and we moved pretty much every three or four years for ever. I went to like seven, I think seven schools between you know, first grade and high school. So I lived all over the Midwest. Wow. So can you spell Gerard Gerardo now? Yes. S T period capital L O U I S. <laughs> That's funny. I, you know what? I just went through there. Um, I drove to Dallas to speak at an event down there a month, one month ago, actually. Um, and and I went through St. Louis, and yeah. the traffic's interesting. Yeah, I yeah. I'm not. My folks lived outside of St. Louis for a little bit because we lived everywhere apparently in Fenton, Missouri. And uh, I remember uh, a buddy of mine where we were up there for some weekend, and I, I can't imagine what we were doing up there. But we decided we were we were in college and we were going to go out and 
get away from the fam and go out and have a drink or something. And my mom, the last thing she just don't, just don't go to East St. Louis. And we're like, <laughs> we're not going to go to East St. Louis. Then we got on I 50, I whatever the I is up yeah. there. And, and we were talking and laughing and we're, and we say, well, let's just get off here. And we get off and it's like, welcome to East St. Louis. We're like, well, that's what that we didn't do that. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. I've heard that's not a good place to be. Yeah, apparently they discourage it actively. So, so yeah. we uh, we got back on the highway and got out. But that's been my only. I've got very limited experience with St. Louis, other than line that I was born there. Yeah. So, so you said you lived all over the Midwest. Like, did was Ohio ever in the? No, uh, no. It was uh, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, all the kind of the southern. Gotcha. I, the Midwest yeah. is a pretty ambiguous term. It is. You know, there are a lot of places say that they're the Midwest, and I'm like, I think you maybe want to check that. But yeah. uh, every uh, Iowa is supposed to be the most Midwestern state. Yeah, I've never lived in Iowa either, so there's that. Yeah, I drove through Iowa once. It was the it's longest beautiful. month of my life. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> if you catch it, it at is. the right time, which is like a lunar eclipse or something, I'm not sure exactly when. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, but it's like, it's like, and you say Missouri, that's funny. My, my grandfather lived there. Um, everybody else calls it Missouri, Missouri unless you're yeah. from there. Yep. Um, yeah, but my, yeah, he, he's buried there in, in Independence, Missouri, outside yep. of Kansas City. Yep. Um, so, so, so you, um, so you graduate, I, I, you go through school, you graduated high school, I'm assuming. Did you go to college? I did. I went twice. Uh, they actually asked me back because they had never seen anyone with that low a GPA that was not a scholarship athlete. And so they wanted to bring me back and just see how he did that. And I showed them and they said, okay, I think you're free to go. So oh. I'm, I, I consider myself in the 173rd semester of my sophomore year is the oh way I, <laughs> I went, I don't know. I went like three and a half years and I'm still only like 400 credits short of getting a degree. I don't know. I, I didn't do well. Yeah. It turned out that they, I went and if I have no interest in something, it turns out I'm very, I have no interest in it. And so school fell into yeah. that category and they yeah. didn't have a major for what I wanted, which, was I didn't know what I wanted. So it was just like, this is just a complete expensive waste of time. Yeah. And I actually sat yeah. down one. Uh, this was back in the day when instead of doing everything online, they had a course catalog that listed every single class you could take at the university. And I sat down uh, as I was beginning to register for the spring semester. And I went through every single class and there was nothing I wanted to take. And I thought, oh, my God, I've graduated. I didn't even know it. I have. I held a little ceremony and lit candles and gave myself a present. And I said, I am so proud of you. This is awesome. Did you buy one of those hats with the tassel? I, got a ta I moved the tassel. I was yeah. my own speaker. I was my own commencement speaker. Uh which was weird because the speaker at my commencement turned out to be drunk that day. And that I can't <laughs> recommend, but, uh, it was funny. So, oh my God. That's funny. Uh, so, so, so you didn't graduate college. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? I, I did that in high school, my senior year. 
they said, um, hey, uh, you didn't get a biology credit in 10th grade. And I'm like, yeah, that I hated that class. It sucked. So I didn't go. And they're like, yeah, right. we know. But you need that to graduate. And I'm like, why? I'm not going to dissect a frog ever again. Like, why do I need biology? I hate that class. And they they said, well, it's the rules. And I'm like, well, then that's a stupid rule. And I left. And I never went back. <laughs> never went back. It didn't matter that I aced trigonometry and analytic geometry no. and, and all. They didn't care. Bio, you biology. never want to. That's right. You never want an education to get in the way of a diploma. <laughs> well, one of the things I discovered, I went to the University of Oklahoma, and uh, this changed my life is when I discovered that, you know, there were certain classes that required prerequisites. And I can understand it if you're taking advanced trig seven or yeah. whatever it is, you're probably yeah. going to want to have done well in four or five. But yeah, right. for like... I was a journalism major theoretically, and I just wanted to, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but screenplays, I was interested in writing screenplays, but you had, that was like a, a senior level course and you had to have all these prerequisites. And yeah. then I thought, well, what if I just register for the class? And that's when I discovered nobody checks prerequisites. So then I just went through and I just cherry picked everything that I thought was interesting to me. And some of the stuff I was way over my head and I realized, okay, there's a reason why you probably should have learned something before this, but there's other stuff that I'm like, nah, I can just go for that immediately. I mean, the only prerequisite is does the check clear was really it <laughs> That's it. in the class. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, I think it's a big scam, man, personally. <laughs> uh, sorry. Sorry. Well, to I understand college. that it's gotten much better since I went. I understand now it's supposed to be just pristine and lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, okay. Um, we'll go with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah now right. go with a blatant lie. That's been, I've lived my whole life that way. I don't think you can have a, a more sure path to success. Oh my gosh. I, I you know, I told, I, I, I gotta tell everybody. I, I told George, I am from, I live, I'm not from here. I live in this little tiny town north of Columbus, way north of Columbus. Ohio. And I told George the name of the town. He goes, oh, there's a federal penitentiary there. I know it's state, but how do you know that? That's like random. Nobody knows that. Like even the local sheriff didn't realize it until now. <laughs> this is the weirdest thing about, uh, I mean, I did stand up comedy for 10 years and one of the keys is to assimilate these bits of information that have absolutely no use <laughs> until you can insert them inappropriately in some kind of conversation. Right. And that is my entire brain. That is all it is, is just crap it. that I'm waiting to spout off about. That's <laughs> that is so funny. So so you OK, so the college thing um, still hasn't worked out for you. And and <laughs> I'm hopeful for going. I'm hopeful to go back, though. I really am. <laughs> right, right. I, you know, I never because people are like, "Oh, you need to go get a GED," and I'm like, "Why? That feels like an admission of failure." I don't. I, I just. I can't. I'm. I'm not doing it. So, but I, like, I was just gonna say, I do think it would be it would serve people really well to have a college equivalency degree. 
I really do think that, that that but that's a real that would be a real if you've learned all the stuff then they then right. you should get the paper right you know, that, I I feel like I should have a PhD in life I don't know but um you know I I oftentimes thought man is life kicking my ass because I didn't get that that diploma <laughs> or has this happened to everybody you know <laughs> Yeah, I it, I think it depends. I think I, like a doctor, I'd like to see something on the wall with a <laughs> seal of approval for that. Right. But for a comic, I really I quickly realized nobody was really uh, checking out your resume that much. It was just kind of, are you funny or are you not funny? Right. If you're funny, you got to work. And if you didn't, you got to go somewhere else. Right, right. So, so you, you, um, you exit at some point, you exit the, um, the college thing and 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 what did you do did you did you get a job did you what yeah. what did you do from there i flailed for uh golly seven eight nine years probably just i, I had i worked at a i worked at a medical school making training videos i i was a i worked at a number of sales jobs and i was terrible just terrible uh, I'm very introverted by nature, even though people, you know, people don't understand how you can be a speaker or a comic and still be introverted. But I was, and and that just made sales really, really hard. And I finally, um, a buddy of mine at my tenth reunion, a high school reunion, I was there, and a buddy of mine told me about going up for an for a uh, uh, open mic night at a comedy club. And he said it was terrible and awful. And I said, well, what, what kind of material did you do? And he told me, I'm like, well, that's terrible and awful material that no wonder. And, right. and but it, but it, it gave me, you know how it is. It's, it's like breaking the four minute mile when somebody yeah. does it, then everybody can do it. Or, you know, yeah. hundreds yeah. of people can do it. The fact that my buddy told me he actually went up and did this experience made it suddenly seem like, well, a person could do that. And I'm a person I've checked. So, um, I went up and I, I went to an open mic night and, and uh, one of my friends asked me, she, she, the, the, before the afternoon before I went up, she says, well, what do you, I mean, you're going to do this and then what? And I'm like, oh, well, I plan on being discovered and going immediately to work. And uh, the funny thing was I went up and I did the, did, did like 12 minutes of original material out of the box, which I didn't even know was a lot. I didn't know anything. And the uh, owner of the club uh, as I came off stage said, Hey, I've got work for you. And I literally went from open mic night to being full time in comedy in like a month. I mean, it was crazy. Wow. Yeah. And they paid you for it. Not much, but yeah, you know, yeah. it was, it was more than I was making in my, as a, as a bad salesperson. And I certainly enjoyed it more. Yeah. So I spent 10 years on the road and, Wow. And, you know, worked work my way up to where I was headlining most places. And then some of the bigger clubs that had name entertainment, I was a middle act. But uh, and it was just it was fun. I mean, my God, it was fun. That was at the height of comedy when every town had a comedy club, it seemed like. And and with wow. one call, I could book 26 weeks of work for a year, you know, because there's like one club that had 13 it was a chain that had 13 clubs. You could work them twice a year. And literally with one call, you could book half your year. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And I made some great friends that I still stay in touch with that. I just That's hanging awesome. out with comics is just, yeah, it's just, it's different than hanging out with civilians. Gotta love them. Yeah. 
So how long did you do that? About 10 years. Did you? Wow. 10, 10 years. And then I had a conversation with a buddy of mine and we were talking about working corporate because I had done some corporate work because as far as a, as a comedy club comic, I was unbelievably clean and then clean enough that I would get opportunities to do corporate stuff. And I, I love those audiences. They were so much easier and that paid better and the work was easier. And I thought I would like to do more of that. And I was trying to figure out an entree into that. And I came and I were just sitting there in a conversation. I'll never forget this. And I said, you know, it'd be really funny is a really bad motivational speaker. And this preceded the Chris Farley down by the yeah. river thing. And it took me like two years to figure it out. But uh, I got the first one booked and I went up and I was like two minutes into the first what became the Joe Malarkey, the worst motivational speaker in America show. I was two minutes in and I thought, oh, I'm going to be doing this for a long time because it, wow. it just it, it, it flew. So I did that for God another 23, 24 years. In, in, in a corporate corporate setting. Corporate and associations, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that was I, I, Go ahead. No, I, I mean, and you eventually became a, a Hall of Fame speaker. <laughs> That's one of the funniest is, things. I, yeah. I I thought the the people that that loved the show the most and were most accepting were the people I was making fun of. I mean, my God, it was just, and I was like, wow, I did not see that coming because that is not a normal human response. But uh, yeah, I was, I was six years into my professional speaking career when I was inducted in the hall of fame. And that, that was a really, you know, that was like a lifetime achievement award. And it was really, you know, just, I mean, anytime your peers say, Hey, you're doing good work. That's a good feeling. Yeah, that's incredible, man. So, so what was part of the, what was the, what was some of the stuff you talked about? What was part of the skit? I, how have I not heard this? I, I don't know. Cause I was huge, huge. I tell you, um, <laughs> I was actually, I was on 60 minutes with Morley Safer. He interviewed me. Yeah. He wow. was doing a, he was doing a slam job on professional speakers and they saw me as uh, the perfect person that they could put into the piece that was funny. And it also kind of made their point because I'm making fun of motivational speakers. And uh, but when I, you know, but when I met him for the for the interview and they did 45 minutes of interview. And if you've been around media, you know that with 45 minutes, you can edit anybody to make them look like anything. So it was a terrifying right. thing. And he yeah. didn't know who I was. He had no idea why he was sitting down across from me. And so his first question to me, they turn on the lights, more, yeah, we're rolling, rolling, morally safer. To, he's, take, he's got this terrible blue plaid shirt with this other <laughs> contrasting jacket. And I'm like, who dresses you? Seriously. And these are the thoughts. Instead of thinking, oh, you should be scared. That's the kind of stuff I'm thinking. And he stubs right. out his cigarette and blows his smoke and gets it on. And they clear it. All right. And then Morley looks at me and goes, aren't you really just taking money? Aren't you really just stealing from people? That was like question one out of the gate. And it was just like, it was just like getting slapped, which I think was the whole purpose of the question. It was oh to knock God. you off balance and to realize, holy crap, you're in a situation that whatever you say, 20 million people are going to say it. You've spent 10 years in stand up and 10 years 
building this Joe Malarkey show and you have the opportunity in the next 40 minutes to bring it all down. So, oh, God. <laughs> so that was a terrifying, that was a terrifying thing. But to answer your question, choose uh, Joe Malarkey uh, was kind of based around, uh, I built the show. The name of the show is called choose to lose. And basically I described Malarkey was a man who was extremely excited about some very bad ideas. And everything that a traditional motivational speaker would go this way, I would go that way. And uh, and I and when I was kind of formulating the show, once I came up with choose to lose, prevail to fail, prepare to air, have the panache to crash, have the thunder to blunder, have the pluck to suck. Um, <laughs> that was like one cornerstone of the show. And then uh, I there was when I was trying to write the show and figure out why my guy was bad. I was watching late night TV and there was a guy named Dan, Don Lompre or something. I think that was his name. He's a young kid and he would just sell these products and he was so sincere and he was so intense and the products were total crap. And uh, like one of them was the nine ways of making money. There's nine ways of making money. The first way, the first way, I'll tell you the first way, first way is to buy low and sell high. And I like, I thought, well, isn't that all the ways of making money? I mean, doesn't that just mean, isn't that all of them? Because if we're starting there, by the way, we get to the ninth way. It's the ninth way of making money is to knock down little old ladies and take their purses. That's the ninth way of making money. So but I loved his intensity and just the hubris of selling this crap. So I thought, okay, Malarkey is going to sell some the worst things you've ever seen, and we're oh going to sell God. them with that exact same intensity. And uh, and then the the kind of the last piece of the puzzle is I saw a an interview with Don Knotts, and he was talking about the Barney Fife character, and he said the key to understanding Barney Fife is that he's a five year old emotionally, and right. every. Every every thought that he has in his head plays immediately on his face. So there's no right. guile, even though he's trying right. to do stuff. You can see through it all. And so I thought, okay, well, that's going to be malarkey, where everything I say or do, you're going to be able to read it on my face. What what the actual malarkey character is thinking? So <clears throat> that makes it wow. sound like I'm I'm way smarter than I am. But I put all those things together, and they kind of. I kind of got the sense of, of what the character was and what he would talk about. And then it was just like, holy cow, it just took off. It was exactly the right show at exactly wow. the right time. And it just went nuts. And was there, were, were there people in particular that you were, that, that, that they knew you were making fun of them? I, uh, I didn't, I didn't have a target in particular. <clears throat> Um, there were some, some pieces of material. It's like, I was at a showcase one time, uh, and a showcase was like, you had, I don't know, 15, 20 speakers that you would do 15 minutes of, of your program in front of a room full of people who could theoretically hire you. And at that, at that event, I saw three people do what was called the chicken and Eagle story, which is this old passed around story about, you know, the, 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 eagle that thought he was a chicken and he never tried to fly because he thought he was, and there was that whole story. And it was just, I watched one person do it as a straight story. I watched one person do it as a song and I watched one person do it as a poem over the course of the day. And yeah. they didn't realize the other people had done it, but you know, at this point the audience is just rolling their eyes. And it was yeah. very funny. Uh, one of the other speakers came up to me and you may know, you know, Jeff Slutsky, because he's from Columbus. 
I know the name. Anyway, I know the name. Yeah, he used to live in Columbus. He lives in Kansas City now. But he came up to me and he grabbed me by the lapels and said, "You got to kill that story." And I thought, <laughs> and I thought that. I can kill that story. And so I wrote a whole piece that was like my signature piece for a long time. And I just took it and, and did what Malarkey would do with a story like that. And I just wanted to make it so that anybody else that ever said that to an audience after an audience had heard me was going to think that guy is the biggest hack I've ever heard. That right. So I, I, I wanted to kill the story. So there was no one specifically that I was going after. I was just kind of going after the you know, the, the whole thing, it didn't matter. You know, it was goal setting, it was affirmations. It was, you know, it was time management. It was weight loss. It was all those th memory programs, whatever anybody was talking about, what everybody, anybody was selling, I was just coming at it from a wrong, wrong way. That's so funny. That's hilarious. So you did this and, and I'm curious, like, as you're going through, um, I mean, I've, I've, spoken at a handful of events um i'm not in a speaker's bureau i'm not I, I i don't even know what that really means um but i you know it's i can't i mean i don't think i could ever see myself like okay this is what i'm gonna do for a living i, I just <laughs> i i can't i can't like i i don't i mean i could but i i just it's not something i've ever pursued what what do you like, how do you get into that and go, okay, I'm, I'm going to start making money at this. And, and I know some speakers that are, you know, that have done incredibly well financially that how, how does that work? Like, how do you just start calling companies and going, Hey, I want to speak at your next corporate event or how does that work? Well, I mean, everybody's path is a little bit different. Uh, and I took a path that uh, very few people could do, and you can't, it's not even possible now. Uh, I mean, at one point in time, I worked with like 80 different speakers bureaus, which means over the course of the year, they would have booked me at least once. And some of them would have booked me 15 times. But, and I started with speakers bureaus. And, okay. and the, the rule is you can't. That is not the way you can break into the business. But I mean, it was the weirdest thing ever. There was another, again, another showcase, but this was at a, uh, uh, like a convention for speakers bureaus. At okay. the time, it was called IGAB, the International Group of Agents and Bureaus or whatever. And so speakers could pay money to have a chance to go up and do 17 minutes of material in front of these people. And I submitted a tape and they turned me down because my tape, that's the hardest thing in the world in the beginning is to get good tape because yeah. it's a combination of having a great audience in a good room and good tech and everything else is really hard. And so they turned me down. And then uh, because I had kind of broken this show in with a with a agent, I was living in, in Oklahoma at the time, and there was a bureau there that used to book me for comedy for corporate. And then he started booking the Joe Malarkey show. And he was a part of this group. And he called me up and he said, would you want to do that showcase? It's like a week out. And I said, yeah, but they've already turned me down. He goes, I can get you in. I said, well, how? How? He goes, well, one of the people that was going to do the showcase died. And so a slot is open. And if you want the slot, it's yours. And I'm like, wow, I don't even know how to feel about this. 
And I'm right. like, would, before before I went up, would they tell them that I'm the person that just slipped into this <laughs> dead person's spot because I'm apparently some sort of a horrible vampire? What would they even say? And so I, and it cost a whole lot of money at the time. I would, I didn't have much money. Uh, you know, I think it cost seven fifty or something to be in the showcase, plus your travel, plus everything else. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so I went from it was a Saturday morning that I went up and did 17 minutes and no one in the room had any idea who I was or what I was about. And it just blew up. I mean, it was one of those shows. And I went, I went to the phone bank at the time because this was, this predated cell phones. I went and got on a, uh, a pay phone and called my wife at the time. And I said, everything has changed. Everything. Wow. So I went from having nobody know who I was to having all these bureaus that were extremely interested in working with me. So that's how wow. that happened. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done because I, I'm not going to make outbound marketing calls. I'm not going to do that. I'm not that guy. I'm not good at right. it. I don't want to do it. It's like work. And that's the last I got. I mean, I did this whole thing so I wouldn't have to work. What do you, you know, so... <laughs> That's funny. I mean, you know, it can it, being a um, because you're you're an entrepreneur, you're self-employed. You know, um, that man, that can that can cause that can cause a lot of stress. I mean, you're only thirty six. <laughs> it's really aged me. That's if you're talking emotionally, you may be like yeah. twenty four yeah. years off. I'm not sure. In IQ, you're really shooting high. Right, right. So, but, you know, I think, you know, I mean, it, it, it causes stress, right? You said I didn't have that much money. I, I, My wife and I have experienced that, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to take this $2,000 gamble on this course or this, this trip business, right. you know, whatever. And it's like, well, what do we eat while you're gone? <laughs> like, yeah. you know. It, 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 it's, it's stressful. Um, but it sounds like you had a, um, what's the word, a vision. Did you have a, uh, some kind of a, a, a massive thing poking you on the inside going, dude, you got to get this done. I just felt like I had an irrational belief that I was, that it was going to work. You know, even when, even before there was much evidence to that. And then I started getting evidence along the way that this show is the right show for the right time. And I know exactly, you know, at that point, uh, I mean, doing stand up was huge as far as preparing me for this. And I brought I brought uh, some skills into professional speaking that people were not used to seeing on a on a on that stage. You know, there's yeah. just a different way that you write and present and structure for standup than, than the normal business humorous would do. Yeah. And so I just believed I was right. And, and I ran into some headwind at the beginning, but I felt like the thing that's going to make me hard to book in the beginning is going to make me easy to book. Once I break through, it's just like the, the hook of the show, the worst motivational speaker in America, that's going to engender some resistance in the beginning. Right. Because it's like, why would we do that? 
Why would we book the worst? But when you get on the other side of it, it's like, not only are people going to want to book it, you're the only store in town. So uh, I just had that belief. And in fairness, I've been wrong about so many things. It's shocking that I was right about that one. But I just, you know, I, I believed wow. I was right. It's like, it's like when I look back at stand-up comedy, I had a successful very first time I ever went on stage. I was successful. And I probably had six shows just doing open mic nights and stuff after that, that I was successful before I had my first, what I would call bad show. And I think back thinking, if that bad show had been the first one, would there have been a second one? And I'm not sure there would have been. Right. And so I, I had enough incremental encouragement and and uh, confirmation that I was on the right path that then once you start to hit some hiccups, you're like, eh, that's the that's the anomaly that the other yeah. stuff is right. That's just the just this an odd thing that's going to happen. No, those things yeah. just happen. Do you feel, do, did you ever feel like you were lying to yourself? <laughs> like, or, or, or you just knew you just kept going. I couldn't get through the day without lying to myself. It's what, <laughs> it's my central. <laughs> right. No, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I didn't ever feel like I was lying to myself. I just. Just kept pushing. I just kept going. I just kept doing yeah. the next thing. That was always like, well, yeah. what's your big plan? I'm like, I don't, I don't know enough to have a big plan. Yeah. I just, I think this is according to the, the knowledge that I have at this point, this seems like the next logical step to take. So let's take that and see what happens. Did, did you, did you know Zig? Barely, barely. Did you? Uh, I'm just wondering if Zig ever came up and said anything to you. <laughs> I don't think Zig was ever aware of my existence on the planet. Uh, by the time uh, I was around and I met some of the really big hitters from that time, uh, I mean, Zig was, he was pretty old. Uh, oh, okay. I met him once. I met him once at the National Speakers Association. And then we ran into each other one time at DFW airport. And uh, I met Jim Rohn once, yeah. and but that was like I was at the very beginning, and nobody at NSA at the time that I met most of these people, nobody at NSA even knew who I was. I hadn't been on the main stage yet, and I was yeah. just this guy. So, who's that guy that keeps hanging out at our meetings? That thinks he's but funny. you know, I it was <laughs> it was funny because I came to the attention of some really unbelievably helpful people in my career really quick. They, they, yeah. they took me under their wing really quickly. And uh, a couple of them said, we've got to get you on the NSA main stage as fast as we possibly can. So that wow. somebody doesn't some, so that somebody more established than you doesn't rip this off. And so mm -hmm. uh I think the first time, the first event that I went to was in, Orlando in 96. And I think at that time I was booked to do uh, the winter workshop that in February or wherever it was. And so within six months, I was on the main stage at an essay. And then once that happens, then you're caught, you're a little bit bulletproof is, I mean, I, I had people uh, try and infringe on the material a little bit, but the other thing was I was kind of bulletproof anyway, because malarkey was one of these deals because 
the structure was 180 degrees from from anything that resembled correct. You couldn't rip it off. It was like yeah, you no. couldn't take you couldn't take a piece of it and put it in your program because it was just like what the hell? That's just the opposite of everything that you're saying. So you either had to rip off the whole thing or none yeah. of it. And um, and I had people. <laughs> there were occasions where you know people wanted to try and you know take the show or hey listen I'll I'll do the 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 the, the lower fee things that you don't want to do I'll do those because I can do this show and I'm like dude I did ten years of stand up comedy I've been doing this show for ten years and I'm telling you right now there are days I can't do the show so <laughs> right the, right so the odds that you've been able to pull this off are very small so I mean you, you know I I um... Because Jim, which we'll talk about in a minute, but Jim had sent me a book to 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 take to um, Jeffrey Gittimer when I was down there with him, and um, and and you know Jeffrey, his first word. I mean Jeffrey's a legendary speaker as well, and yeah. and and he says uh, he first words out of his mouth is George Campbell is a genius, and the whole <laughs> Joe Malarkey thing, and I said what's that? And he said, Oh, it's the skit that he does. It's funnier than hell. And he's a genius. And, and so, you know, I mean, getting, look, getting on the, but you know, this, I mean, it's, it's really tough no matter what you're doing, whether you're a speaker or whatever, like it, if you get on the right radar screen, right. Yeah. Until then you're nothing. I mean, I, it sounds terrible to say, but you're, you're, you're nothing. You got to get on somebody's radar. They will yeah. help too if you're capable of showing that you have potential. Yeah. Right? I get feel so, like Steve Martin and Jerk. Like, I'm somebody. Look, <laughs> I'm come under the J's. Uh, this is the kind of spontaneous publicity that makes people. Um, yeah, I felt, I mean, I was unbelievably blessed to come to the yeah. attention of the right people almost instantly, which yeah. is great because I don't know if I would have had the, the, the perseverance to stick it out. If it, you know, I felt like I, I felt like the first, for the very first six months of doing the business, doing this show as I was developing the show. And then finally I came in after about six months and I said, I've got the best show nobody knows about. And that's a very frustrating thing. You know, to, yeah. to know that you everything is telling me all the lights are green and I can't find a ride. And uh, and then that changed really, really quickly. And I met people and and I mean, for for years, I had people that uh, other speakers sold me. You know, they would do a program. They would they would have good long term clients and they, you know, they would talk to them. Listen, if you ever wanted somebody for your awards banquet or whatever, I've got the guy for you. And, you know, and, and they would refer me business. And that happened all the time. And, you know, they're going to introduce me to people I'm never going to have the opportunity to meet. Or So I, I, I was unbelievably fortunate. There's no question about that. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm curious what the most common response is. It's got to be like, tell me a joke or something. When, when you tell somebody, yeah, I'm a, I'm a comic. I did stand up comedy for years. And what, what do they say? Oh, well, can you make me laugh? <laughs> Mostly I tell people I sell insurance and I find that just stops the conversation right there. And I'm good with that. Uh, 
what do you what do you know about Amway? And I just find that they're, oh, you know what? I am late for that thing. I didn't even realize I had to go to. Uh, what do you know about Amway? That's funny. That's great. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Well, it's so, I mean, it really is. I mean, on planes, you know, that conversation, and you know, you're stuck. You've got two and a half hours. And yeah. I will avoid, because honestly, in those kind of situations, I'm so tired of talking about it. Yeah. You know, I, and I understand it's, it's, it's this combination of, it is interesting because it's so out there and yeah. you don't run into many people like me. I mean, there are not many free range Campbell's uh -huh. running around. And, and so it, I can understand if I were, if it were the reverse, I would be asking questions too, but it just gets so painful that's the reason why, honestly, I bought those big Bose noise canceling headphones, the kind that go over your ears. And 90% yeah. of the time, I don't even, they're not even plugged into anything. They're just <laughs> a statement that says, I really would prefer not to talk with you now. I think you're a lovely person. And I appreciate yeah. the fact that how hard it is to be an internal medicine doc, but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. That's so yeah. funny. Oh my gosh. I mean, it took an act of God just to get you on my show. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that was I'm, I'm not I'm sure. Grateful. Yeah. I'm I grateful. Didn't, that was my fault. I missed Oh one. no, I'm not talking about that. I look, <laughs> I, I um I, I think that that um the the A you are funny, but but you know, I think that people People don't understand the, you know, they see somebody like you and they go, oh, he's a Hall of Fame speaker. So life's been easy for him. Okay. And, and right. Have you, have you checked in on the last year? Oh, for right. the love of God. I know. I know. Yeah. Are you still, are you still doing, um, do you know Phil Sorrentino? Yep. He says, did I he do. learn how to ride a scooter? Yeah. That was uh, uh, at the at the very first thing that I did at NSA that I was on the main stage. It was in the Baha It was in Bermuda, and we a bunch of us decided to rent scooters. And there were two of us on a scooter, and we're going down a hill, and it had just started to rain, and hit the turn, and it's the oil water mix. I go sideways, wreck the scooter, and we'd gone literally like twenty feet. So, um, and then I go back and I'm like, okay. And then I, somebody picks us up and it takes me to the hotel. Cause I don't want to go to the hospital. And then I realize, you know what? I'm not sure you can breathe, George. And I thought, you know what? Let's go to a hospital. I've never been to a hospital in Bermuda. Let's go see what they look like. And oh, so I'd broken a couple ribs. And the funny thing was I'm laying there on the pavement in Bermuda and my career is starting to take off. And and I'm laying there and the rain is hitting me in the face. And I'm thinking, all right, this is Sunday. I've got to be in Des Moines on Tuesday. Oh. And then Des Moines, I got to be in Orlando. And you know, that's all I'm just running my schedule in my head because I'm thinking, I can't die. I'm booked. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to return deposits if I die. And I don't oh, want to do that. God. Did you make it? Yeah. Well, apparently, yeah. Uh, although no I, I mean, no, I don't mean. To. 
<laughs> yeah, I can imagine my dad. That's a Bermuda thing. No, yeah. like, did you make it to Des Moines? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. With I mean, I've been rib. through broken leg. I broke my shoulder in two places in Hawaii, and then uh, I'm traveling, and I've got my arm in a sling. And I can traveling with your arm in a sling is a, really that's a delightful experience and trying to rustle luggage and everything else. And it was just and then you and then I would take my arm out of the sling to do the shows, but I can't raise my left. It's like this is like the traditional malarkey gesture. I couldn't even raise my arm enough to do that. So all the gestures were down here, you know, but you, you know, you're booked. You got to go. So. Oh my gosh. You said you were making fun of that. Was it Don Dupree? Is that the guy's name? Don Dupree. He was like a young Don. kid with dark hair. Yep. Oh my Don, And always I, standing with an ocean behind him. Yeah. Oh my God. He was just like, oh my God, can you believe how successful I am? I'm young. I'm good looking. And you're and that's and that young being young and good looking is the fifth way of making money. Yeah. He was I loved him. He died young, which I think probably just from embarrassment. I think somebody probably said, "Have you seen yourself?" And they shot, and he just keeled right over. That's what I suspect. I don't. I'm not a doctor. Oh my god, that is that is so funny. So so so, um, we have a mutual friend. We I bet we have more than one, but but the one I'm referring to is is Jim Packard who is yeah. a just absolute he's a genius and and, yeah. and a great <laughs> i wouldn't go crazy with that i just you know, let's call him a nice man and leave it there <laughs> that is that is not appropriate so <clears throat> so jim is okay jim is a nice man um good dude he and and you guys wrote a book together and you have you written other books? Yeah, I'd written, I do a lot of research on my guests. Yeah, uh, you you're gonna have to do you're gonna have to dig deep to find the other crap that I've written. I wrote a I wrote a malarkey book uh, that uh, and then I've written I was a, I was trying to be a screenwriter for a while, so I've written a ton of stuff, and uh, I kind of hit a place four years ago, five years ago, where I was like, ah, I think Malarkey's done. You know, I had done it for a really long time yeah. and there weren't a lot of mysteries to the show left for me. And I'd explored writing new material and doing it. And I'm just like, I just, I, it's time to move on. It's the third act. What are we going to do? And so I filled legal pads with thoughts and ideas. And, you know, if I could talk about anything, what would it be? What could I talk about that would have actually have relevance? What would I have liked to have learned when I started this all, you know, all those things. And so I pulled together uh, kind of this concept that um, based around kind of three different things, one of which was a, a, an examination of the Pareto principle in a little bit different way, one of which was an examination of this study that had been done a million years ago called the, the marshmallow test. And then this interview I read with Jerry Seinfeld and kind of the, the basis of the whole, in a nutshell, the Pareto principle was, you know, 80% of the results come from 20% of the people. And, yeah. and, uh, and I thought, why is that? When it comes to people, why is that? 
And I, and I looked at all the differentiating factors between the people that were really, really good and successful and, and produced the most and the other people. And what I, when you eliminated all the things that were in common, intelligence, education, training ability, even ambition was equally present in both groups. So then the question was, well, what's the difference? And I, and I felt like the difference came down to the 20% high performers did what needed to be done when it needed to be done on a relentlessly consistent basis. Yeah. And the 80% who struggle knew what needed to be done, but they didn't do it and they certainly didn't do it consistently. And so um, that was kind of the basis, the beginning of this exploration is how, how do we, what is the seat of inconsistency? You know, how is right. it that some people are struggle with inconsistency? And then how do you overcome it? And that's that's kind of the book that we've written. By the way, uh, in case Which, anybody's out there feeling bad that uh, you, the consistency chain for network marketing, uh, yeah. if anybody's out there feeling bad that you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I think I might be in the 80 percent. Just know that that's me. You know, that was the reason why I wrote <laughs> this book. And I'm not, you know, I, I wrote yeah. the book for me. It's yeah. like I struggle yeah. with this and and and. I hated to see people fight the same fight and come away with all the shame and frustration that comes from not being able to keep the promises you make to yourself. And, um, and then I, the reason why Jim and I partnered on this is Jim is just the opposite. Jim is just the epitome of consistency. His entire life, you know, he took a $500 investment and turned it into a $17 million a year company. And he was named distributor of the year at two different network marketing companies, which is where I met yeah. Jim was uh, we were both involved in a network marketing company and he and he was on stage and I was firmly holding down my position in the back row. And <laughs> I and I felt like, you know, w when people talk about success, you know, it's always the 20 percent. It's always the people who've achieved success and they're out there yeah. and they're saying the things that that have have worked for them. You know, this yeah. is what works. I know because I did it. And the challenge with that is that resonates with about 20% of the audience and 80% of the audience understands what they're saying. We just can't put it into, into practice. And right. so what I wanted to do was just to have someone be able to come on stage and I'm, I'm really just, it's kind of a fraud that I'm allowed to speak because I'm not the 20%, but I am the person that the 80% are going to relate to. And I'm going to tell yeah. a story that's different than they've heard and they're going to come in they come away with an understanding and and for the first time in their lives they're going to see someone on stage that actually uh validates their experience and uh so then so then i brought jim in because i wanted to speak to both parts of the audience i didn't want to make the mistake in reverse where the 20 percent are just talking to the 20 percent. i wanted to have us be able to the combination of the two of us speak to 100 percent of the audience and actually move the needle. So that was the impetus behind this entire project. I suddenly got really serious. Did you notice that? That's weird. I, and I, I, you know, I love that though. And I, I think that, that, and I, I mean, I have a, um, I'm, I have a question about this that, that I think I know the answer to. Um, see, I'm not smart enough to even remember what that word is that like, you know, I'm going to ask you a question that I already know the answer. Um, oh, rhetorical. Thank you. Yeah. See, it's You're my gift. I know, I know it's a in Ohio. <laughs>
Dang it, I shouldn't have dropped out of high school. All right, so look, this book, although it says the consistency chain for network marketing, um, right. would it apply to anyone? Absolutely. I mean, we originally wrote a general book and then we had a publisher come to us and say, why don't you write a specific book for network marketing? And, and so we basically just, it's all the same information. We just, uh, uh, the examples are more network marketing oriented, but the reality is this is a, this is a book that anybody, it doesn't matter what you want to do. Anything that you want to do that requires consistency on a day-to-day -day basis, this is a book. It doesn't matter if you're wanting to get in shape or lose weight or deepen your relationships or get ahead in your career or become more financially secure. The, the, the steps that, that we talk about can be applied to anything. And we've got a lot of, a lot of testimonials to that fact. So, yeah, yeah. you have a lot of testimonials. I, I think that, that I, and here's the other thing. I, I love it when people are like network, is that one of those pyramid schemes? And I'm like, yes, yes because the corporate America job that you work at isn't, like, well, and I'm sorry, but you look at the pyramids, they've stood the test of time. Amen. So, <laughs> they have, people they still have. go to visit them. So, right, right. I mean, I recently heard aliens built them. So, but you know, I think that, that, um, again, I think that anybody, if you said, hey, if you, if you push really hard for, for a while, you know, you can get to a place where like Jordan Adler wrote beat money. Right. And right. like, you can get to a place in life where you, you're it's autopilot. Like there's just money that just comes in and you don't know how or why, but it just shows up every day. So, well, and most people would say, yeah, Oh God. Yeah. I'd love to have that. Well, and we would all, I mean, 100% of the people are going to say they would love to have that. It's just that 80% of the people, and this is the second part of the book, which is the marshmallow test. We are literally wired not to be able to do it. And, uh, and that's not conjecture. I mean, that's neuroscience now. I mean, you can, they can look at a functional MRI and they can tell whether or not you are consistency prone or consistency averse. And, right. and so what the book is about is how we can basically hack that, how we can reposition ourselves so that, how we can take our because instant gratification and delayed gratification are the same thing as consistency and and so how can we take our insatiable desire for in, for instant gratification and put it in service of achieving long term goals and that's that's basically what this book is about is is how we do that I the the don't break the chain theory uh, is the way that I went from virtually never working out or certainly not regularly working out to where I put together a string of 531 straight workout days without missing. And that's not something I could have done. I mean, that's just simply not possible. And, and that was the test case that I used to establish that, yeah, there is something here. And if you took that same thing and applied that 531 straight days to virtually uh, anything else that you wanted to do, I mean, at the yeah. end of that year and a half, you're going to make you're going to have made tremendous progress. It's it's true. People don't think it. You know, I mean, we've we've all heard the the motivational speakers um, talk about one percent, one percent over a long distance, right? Is right like 
or one degree, I'm sorry, one degree for a long distance is huge, right? So, yep. and, and, you know, this says a remarkably simple process for harnessing the power of habit, eliminating self-sabotage and achieving your goals. So I have a, I have a really crazy question for you. Um, uh -oh. this one, this, <laughs> what'd you say? Uh -oh. uh oh. So, so what about somebody that, um, doesn't have goals because they don't really know what they want. You ever met that person? That, that that's gotta be most of eight, the 80%. <laughs> yeah. Well, and see, that's one of the things we talk about in there is that goals for people for 80% of the people goals is not a, a winning strategy because goals are by definition, they're the embodiment of delayed gratification. And I know that the one thing I suck at is delayed gratification. Mm. So, so I don't want goals. Goals are not going to work for me. And I've done, I did all that goal setting crap, you know, start <laughs> I mean, smart goals. You ever done smart goals, specific, measurable, assignable R I never can remember R T time based, you know, and I, I did all that crap. And, and, and then I would, you know, I, George Campbell, me, assignable, will weigh 175 pounds, specific, measurable on January 1, you know, and then January 1 rolls around and I'm way 205 and I'm like, damn it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, like what I, so what I did and the way we, we suggest you do this is we don't set goals. I'm going to set a direction. So like when I said I'm going to work out, I didn't say I'm going to weigh 175 pounds with 6% body. I didn't do any of that crap. All I said was, I'm going to be fitter, I'm going to be stronger, and I'm going to be healthier. And so the, the, the huge advantage to this was I would go to the gym. I would come back. I could look at myself in the mirror with complete integrity and say, I am fitter. I am stronger. I am healthier. And not only had, had I taken one more step in the direction that I wanted to go, but I'd also fed my desire for instant gratification. I'm like, yeah, you know, I wasn't waiting for something in the future to occur to validate my, the fact that I won. I won today. And that was the reason why I could keep showing up because every day it felt good. I felt great about myself. I won. And that was instant gratification. So when I talk about putting instant gratification in service of achieving long-term goals, that's what we're talking about. It's a different yeah, I, way to I think about that. it. That, I, that, that might be one of the most brilliant things ever said on this show. I think that... that You've got to start getting better guests. I know. But no, no, seriously. Think, I, I, I think about that, like how many times I've had a goal that I set that, I didn't get to, which is most people like, Oh, yep. I want to, you know, make $2 million this year. And, and, you know, you write that down over and over and over and, and like, I only made 1.2. I'm kidding. But like, like, <laughs> yeah, no, but like you, you don't, you don't achieve that. And, and instead, so how would you replace that? Like, let's say you want to make $2 million. How would you replace instead of making the goal $2 million? How would you replace that? I would say, okay, so what is the activities that I'm going to be involved in that would result in me making $2 million? Mm. Is that like five calls a day? 
Do I, you know, do I know what my numbers are? Do I can say they make five calls a day that it's going to connect me with one person that's going to buy and that person, the, the amount of that is going to result in me accumulating that. So then, my, then I'm going to pull away from five calls a day and I'm just saying I'm, I'm headed in the direction of being wealthier and more secure. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to make five calls a day and I'm only focusing on the five calls a day. I'm going to re release the results because I don't care about the results right. in the moment. I only care about the action. And so if I focus on the five calls a day, the $2 million is going to show up or not show up at the time that I want it to. But what right. I can't control that. I can't control whether or not anybody buys. I can't control any of that. The only thing I can, can control is the activities that I engage in on a daily basis and the skill that I bring to that. And I know that my skill is going to increase with repetition. So wow. I... Yeah. So I would back, you know, I would back off from the two million. That's a great thing. Two million dollars is awesome. But the reality is the, the majority of people that set that as a goal are going to fail because it's too far away and it's too unrealistic. You know, and it's just I you know, I hear the, the challenge is there are people that can do that. You know, there are yeah. people that can do that. Yeah. And those are the people that get on stage and tell people that this is the way you do it. And I'm just saying for a great many people, it ain't. And right. all we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for this loop of failure where I said, and I did all that stuff. You know, they always say, you know, we, we did a study and the people that really succeeded were people who had written goals. And I'm like, great. What about the people who didn't succeed, who also had written goals? They don't get to be in your book, do they? You know, so you're self-selecting this this group and saying this is the way to do it. And I'm telling you that it works for you. And that's kind of a leadership trap that, that I see, especially in network marketing. It's a leadership trap. Well, this is the way I do it. So this is the way you need to do it. And I'm saying if you're cool with 97% of the people that you worked your butt off to get into your organization, if you're cool watching them disappear over a relatively short period of time, then keep doing that. But if you'd like to actually empower and make true on the promise that you make to people saying that you can do this, then it may be incumbent upon you to understand that they're going to operate a little bit differently. And maybe it would be great to give them some tools that are actually going to work for them as opposed to something that's going to just lead to frustration and failure and quitting. And, and the reason why I say that is because that was my experience. I mean, the reason yeah. why because I saw network marketing early and I thought this is the most elegant business system I've ever seen in my life. And then I failed and failed and failed and I could not get my head around it. And it wasn't until I got to the other side that, you know, where I built a successful speaking career. And I'm like, yeah. how is it possible that I could be good at this and suck so badly at that? And that yeah. was, you know, that was part of this investigation. I wanted to know the answer. I, you know, because I knew that there were lots of people out there sitting in, in, in rooms and at network marketing events that were experiencing exactly what I felt. Cause when, when we would get together, that's what we, the conversation would be is I just don't understand. I don't understand why I can't, I want to do this and I believe in it. And I believe our products are going to believe our services are going to somehow there's a disconnect because I know from the excitement of this weekend meeting, I'm going to go home on Monday and I'm going to do nothing. And I don't understand why. And that was, wow. that was the, I, the, my heart goes out to those people because I'm them. 
And I'm like, I don't, if I could, if there's something I could do, and this is a very small uh, subset of the world, just network marketing, it, it applies to everything. I mean, there's a lot of people in this position, but that was the one I was yeah. most familiar with. And that's the one we wrote the book about. But I'm like, man, if I can make it, if I can make a difference in this little tiny part of the world, yeah. holy cow, would that be worthwhile? Wow, man. That is legacy right there. That's how you build legacy. It, it is. And, and, and look, I, because I, I, I get it, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, like, I'm, I feel like I'm looking in the mirror right now. Like, like, because I, I, I've, so many times I've thought, but I was at Tony, I shouldn't say, okay, but I was at the, this event and I walked on the coals, damn it. And I said, I, every time the guy said, I, and I said, I, and I walked on the freaking coals and what the hell, man, why is my, right? Like, well, and, and the thing is there are parts of our lives where we have the ability to walk on the coals and there's part of our lives for most of us. I mean, the whole 80, 20 thing, there are very few people that are pure 80% or pure 20%. Right. And the example I always use is Oprah. I mean, as a business person, holy cow. She's in the 2% or the 0.012%, whatever it is. I mean, she's awesome. You know, when she bought, when she decided she was, but the, but the area of her life she couldn't manage was, was her weight and health and, and all that stuff. And she had every advantage of the world. When she bought, when she decided she was going to do Weight Watchers, the 20% part of Oprah bought Weight Watchers stock. Cause she yeah. knows that's going to go up. That's the part of her. That's the genius part. And the other part, the, the, the 80% part of her that she, I don't, I still don't know. I haven't seen any real recent pictures of Oprah to tell me that she's had a stunning success. Right. Still getting control of that. And she's got every advantage. I mean, my God, you think about it. She's got, she could have a private chef and a personal trainer. She could pay somebody a thousand bucks a day just to come around and slap food out of her mouth. And <laughs> still, she struggles with it. And so, so there's very few people that don't have an 80% part of them. Right. And that was kind of the, the thing. So the 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 studies that God, that were the brain studies were done. The people, the people like Jim, who's consistent, tend to make their decisions in a part of the brain that's really good at that. Really good at looking at the future and 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 positioning this action in relative. How, what's it? What's the? If I engage in this action on a daily basis, what's the outcome going to be? And they make the decision based on that. And then there's people like me that think in the part of the brain that's much more primal, and it's like it's it's basically the criteria is is it easy? Is it safe? Is it pleasurable? Which were great questions forever. Wow. You know, I mean, yeah. easy was important when you were you know two hundred million years ago when you're having to decide whether or not you're going to get more calories back from this food than you're going to expend getting it. You know, if it, safe was important when you, you know, cause the guy, the kid back in the day that said, Hey, a woolly mammoth, I wonder if he'll let me pet him. That kid's not passing on his genes and then pleasurable with procreation of the species. These so easy, safe, pleasurable were, were awesome questions to ask them, but they don't serve us well now. Right. Because right. Well, it's like for me in network marketing, was it easy for me to call somebody? No. Is it safe? No, they could reject me. Is it pleasurable? No. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do nothing. And I'm, and I'm not going to say I'm never going to do nothing. I'm just going to do it tomorrow. 
Because tomorrow's such yeah. you can't call. Yeah, I mean, you, oh my God, it's Thursday. You can't people getting ready for the weekend. You can't call people on Thursdays. Everybody knows that. Right. You know, and so, and it's it's also the reason why when I when I dug into it, how could I be successful in comedy, which by all uh, measurables is a much harder field to succeed in the network marketing numbers wise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How could sure. I succeed there? And in, in, in professional, well, I could, I could, because comedy for me is easy. I mean, our conversation, there's nothing easier. I can make people laugh. It's easy. Is it yeah. safe? Absolutely. I'm never more safe than I am on stage. I'm in complete control. Just, I've never had an experience on, on stage that didn't feel safe. Is it pleasurable? Right. Are you kidding? I make people laugh. I get checks. So the reason why I could succeed in comedy where I failed miserably in network marketing, it was one was easy, safe and pleasurable. And the other was none of those. And right. so then it's how do you, how do you structure this in such a way that you actually get leverage over yourself to make. So, so earning $2 million is not easy and it's, mm -hmm. it's not safe because I'm going to say, I'm going to do it. And the chances of me doing it are done and it would be pleasurable to have it, but the journey certainly may not be pleasurable. So instead of right. saying, $2 million. Instead, I'm going to say, I'm going to make five calls a day. Is that easy? Yeah, I could totally make five calls a day. That's easy. I can I'll, here's my plan. I'm going to two in the morning. One, the, you know, is it safe? Yeah, it's safe because I'm going to release the results. It doesn't matter what they say. So it's totally safe. Is it pleasurable? I feel good about myself. Having done them that it, this day, I feel like, dude, I'm proud of you. And that's pleasurable. And so it's just a matter of reframing those those necessary actions into something that resembles a plan that's going to take you in a direction. So it's a matter of instead of I want to weigh, I'm going to weigh 175 pounds. It's it's I'm going to go work out today. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be, be proud of myself for doing that. Yep. And, and by definition, I know if I say I'm going to be fitter, healthier, uh, stronger. I know by definition I have to be. I'm. It, yeah. It's just real. It, yeah. There's not even a. There, there, I'm not required to believe anything at that point. It's just fact. All I'm right. doing is just recognizing an absolute fact. So I'm not requiring myself to believe that I'm going to weigh 175 pounds. No, I'm just recognizing the fact that I I did what I said I was going to do, and I'll be doggone if I am not fitter, stronger, healthier. Well, you sold at least one book today. Francois, Francois, my buddy said, you just so eloquently summed up 97% of people's frustrations. It's true. You really did. So, so, you know, I, I think first off, I want to say thank you for coming on and dude, you're, you're amazing. And I, I'm sure you've heard that a million times in your life. Get it all the time, all the time. <laughs> just annoying, Every day. Really, at this point. Yep. People call you. Hey, I just wanted to remind you. Um, but, you know, I, I think what you just said, uh, wow, it's so true. I can think of, I mean, I'm friends with Grant Cardone. I'm friends with some some really great people that are great motivators too, right? But I, yeah. I've so often thought, man, why am I not hitting the same strides? Why am I? And, and I know so many people have, you know, like what? Why don't I have a freaking jet? <laughs> I want a jet too, damn it. Like, <laughs> but you know, like, I, I think that, um, and Victoria is asking for the name of the book. It's called The Consistency Chain. 
for network I'm marketing. I just remove the network marketing. I'm kidding. But this, look, I don't care if you're in network marketing or you're, you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a stay-at-home dad or a, whatever. The, the secret to life and success in life is, is right here. It's right well, and, here. And, and think about this, too. If you're, you mentioned moms and dads, you think about kids. Because if you're a 20% hard-charging dad and you have an 80% son, and I've seen this play out. Yeah. There's, there's a tension and, a, and a, a misunderstanding, and it just results in both sides being frustrated and one side being shamed. And if you can help in the context of a family saying, okay, I understand, you know, your path is going to be a little bit different than mine, but it's absolutely a good path. Let me help you. As opposed to trying to force somebody to do things in a way that they're never going to be successful at or very unlikely. So what's the marshmallow I, test? I just opened the book. What I haven't read it yet. What's the marshmallow test? The marshmallow test was a test that they did in uh, at Stanford University in the 1970s, late 1960s, 70s. And they took five, 300 five-year-olds one by one into a, a room and set a marshmallow on the on the uh, table and said, listen, that marshmallow is yours to eat anytime you want. I'm going to leave. I'm going to be back in 10, 15 minutes. If, if that marshmallow is still there, you get a second marshmallow. And so the question was, when they came back, how many kids had eaten the marshmallow? The answer is 80%. It's always 80-20. It's always 80-20. And so, but the cool thing was they did a follow-ups. So they tracked these kids at, at their midway through their teenage years. And they found that the 20% kids that did not eat the marshmallow, that displayed delayed gratification, higher GPAs, higher SATs, and were judged to be more socially advanced. Midlife, they track in again, higher ed educational attainment, uh, more professional advancement, lower divorce rate. And then they finally did the last one. And this is the one I kind of mentioned was they brought them back in 2011 and they put them in an FR, a functional MRI machine. And a technician could look at the results, the activity level in one or two areas of the brain and tell you with 100% certainty whether or not that test subject did or did not eat the marshmallow 50 years prior. Holy crap. So that's what we're dealing with. When you're, when you're you know, getting somebody pumped up and motivated, you're not dealing with the part of the brain that's actually going to make the decision. It's like you're always talking to the gatekeeper and not the decision maker for 80% of the people. And unless wow. you understand how to talk to that 80% of the brain and how to make this easy, safe, and pleasurable, you're never going to get movement. Not consistent. I would have e eaten the marshmallow. Oh, my God. I would have totally. I would have eaten the marshmallow before the guy got done explaining the experiment. He would not. He, said, he would have said, George, now this is your marshmallow. And we, oh, wait, 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 wait. And then I would it'd be too late. I'm like, well, yeah. give me another one. Let's go double or nothing. What do you say? Right, right, right. I don't trust you. You're going to come back and take this marshmallow. I, uh, I'm eating it now, dude. It's gone. Well, Jim and I do these Zoom calls where we kind of do this, go through this stuff. And Jim asked me one day, because we, because I eat the marshmallow on, on, on the camera. And then it yeah. makes it really hard to talk. And it's kind of funny. And he goes, are we going to do the marshmallow thing where you eat the marshmallow? I said, no, we're not going to do that today. He goes, well, why aren't we going to do that today? And I said, well, because I ate all my marshmallows. 
I don't have any marshmallows for the show today. <laughs> that is so funny. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, listen, everybody watching, like, we're way over time. I don't care, though. It's the internet. It's my show. It doesn't matter. But here, look, I, I, everybody needs to right now go. I'm going to, first, you can go to kenwalls.shop, and that takes you to my Amazon store. And I have this book in my Amazon store already. So go over there and click on it and buy it. I don't even know how much it is, but it's worth a million dollars. So if it's a million dollars, borrow it from your mom or something and buy the book. I don't even know how much it is. How much is it? Do you know? Uh, the Kindle's like 10 and the other's 12 or something. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, no money. So go get a copy of the book right now. The consistency chain for network marketing for, for life. The consistency yeah. chain for life. We changed the title today. It's not just for network marketing, you guys. It's for anybody. Uh, go get this book right now. Um, and George, where's is there? Are you active anywhere on social media that people can can? There's a, yeah. There's a there's a consistency chain uh, thing on Facebook and on Twitter, I think. And I don't spend a ton of time on either one of those two things. And I'm George Campbell on on facebook too and i still have some room there i will tell you there's there's a conversation we ought to we ought to revisit because i'm working on some new stuff that i think is really interesting coming out of covid and uh i've got a new program called how to ride an alligator and how to what how to ride an alligator <laughs> okay and it's <laughs> it's basically just to belabor and, and run this some more way over time. It's the, the idea that we gave up so much stuff in COVID, but one of the things that we, that we gave up that we really haven't appreciated yet is we gave up a sense of certainty mm. and it's tough for people to take action in an uncertain world. And it's like, I talk about the coin flip, you flip a coin and for, for however many years we've been on the planet, we've known the probability is 50 for 50, 50 heads or tails. But the certainty always it was it's going to be fifty. It's going to be one of those two, and so twenty twenty came around and we flipped the coin. We looked at it and it came up alligators. And we're like, okay, I'm I'm I didn't even know that was possible that you could flip a coin and come up alligator. We kept flipping it, and every time we flipped it, it came up alligators. Everything that we were certain of. I mean, we we don't want to necessarily go to the want to go to work, but we know Monday morning we're going to be on the we're going to be in the office. Yeah, and twenty twenty came around. It came up alligators. Tuesday, we're going to pick up the kids from school, swing by the grocery store, pick up some toilet paper because we're getting low. Alligators. You know, Wednesday, we're going to get our hair cut. Thursday, we're going out to dinner with the Jamesons. Friday, we're babysitting the kids or grandkids. Saturday, we're going to the big game. Sunday, we're going to church. And every single one of the times we flipped the coin, it came up alligators. So we had the, the seismic shift in certainty. And so my contention wow. is that... that um, Anytime you have this kind of disruption, there's positives and negatives. The negative is it shook everything up. The positive is it shook everything up. And if we're going to put all our certainties on the table, then let's examine all the things that are on the table. Because there's some things that we're certain of about ourselves that limit us. And I'm just saying, let's flip the coin on those. Let's wow. find if they come up alligators. Because if it comes up alligators, guess what? We don't have to believe that anymore. 
And if we start to get rid of some of these things that we believe that we can or can't do, then it opens up a whole world to us. And so that's where a seismic shift in certain uncertainty can actually come into benefit for us. So that's wow. the new program. Yeah. Are you doing a are you writing a book on this? I'm just writing the program right now. I'm gonna go out okay. and beta test it here in the next uh the next hopefully the next 10 days. I found this really cool new platform that's gonna actually allow me to take people to different places and uh, kind of it's broken up into these different sections. Uh, there's a race car section. There's a courtroom session where we actually are going to put your limiting beliefs on trial. You know, wow. I don't know if you ever saw the, if you ever saw the movie defending your life with Albert Brooks is one of the, it's a brilliant movie. And wow. that's what, that's what I want to do is I want to just, what's the validity of these. And I, I basically play the part of a, of your defense attorney. I'm acting in your defense. Is this true? Wow. And, uh, and then the final thing is, once we realize that uh, that these beliefs are not nearly as certain as we thought they were, then how do you take action? How do you take that first action that 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 will break you towards uh, movement and momentum? And then the consistency chain is a perfect uh, companion piece because then the consistency chain is once you once you break that initial inertia, how do you keep going? So the kind of kind of folds together beautifully within these two things. So Victoria said, oh, wow, sold. You need to have your pre-sale site ready. I know. There are so many. <laughs> if I were a better person, life would be so much easier. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I asked him before we came on live, I said, so did you used to, you lived in Oklahoma? Is that right? And he said, I did. Yeah, but the judge finally said I could leave. <laughs> <laughs> I was free to go. Yeah. There's a statute of limitations on almost everything. That's what I discovered. Oh if you can live long enough, it's possible you can have your entire record expunged. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Dude, you are George. I said, dude, here I'm talking to the astute George Campbell Hall of Fame speaker. And I just called him dude. So I think mm. that's I'm totally cool with that, by the way. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I, I rarely rise above the dude level. This is a <laughs> this is a very rare piece of interchange we've had. Oh, uh, this has been awesome, man. I, I, I'd love to do some more stuff. And I know we're Absolutely. gonna do um, you and I and Jim, we're gonna do a, an Amazon live, get you guys on Amazon talking about the book. And um, so uh, wow. This has been incredible. Thank you for, for Thank coming you. on and sharing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I had a good time. It's been been, been amazing. Anna says, cool dude. <laughs> that's awesome. I hope so that isn't a gang we, sign. That's a gang it sign, been, right? It may have just flashed something. I don't know. Go Amish <laughs> or something. I don't know my gang sign's that good. Good. <laughs> Go Amish. Oh my God. That's hilarious. All right, George, hang with me. I'm going to end the live stream, but thank you to everybody who's hung out. Go grab a copy of the consistency chain. Somebody type in, in the comments, Ken wall, www.kenwalls.shop. That's where you can go pick it up. It's in my Amazon store. So George, listen, man, thank you so much. I appreciate sure. you coming on and sharing your humor, your wisdom. And, uh, man, this has been fun. Thank you. You bet. My pleasure. Right. We'll see you guys later. Have a great day. Bye-bye.